that um, <clears throat> those moments we have to worship are very special and encourage you as, as we gather to worship just to say, God, just start speaking to me uh, as you um, have that moment because we don't get that during the week. Maybe in your car you crank up the radio or at home and you turn it up and, in the house, but this is the only time really during the week you have an opportunity to gather with other Christians and in community to worship together. And, uh, and when we're singing those songs, I just want to encourage you, if, if you're having this little blockade going on, it's like, I, I, can't, I don't want to sing, I can't sing, then you know what? Ask God to work in your heart, because He wants to talk to you. And He wants you to worship Him today. Not the band, not the pastor, nothing else in this room. God wants you to worship Him. And we get to do that. We're very privileged and honored to do that, because a lot of countries can't. Uh, I'm going to tell the children right now, if, if some of the kids are looking around saying, okay, well, Pastor Rex is talking, I want to sort of connect with what he's doing. On the back table, in the blue tub back there, we have these whiteboards. And we have something else that's really cool, and it's an um, erasable crayon, okay? So if you want to, like, as I'm talking, you want to, you know, draw something on the board, you know, and, which is really awesome, a little smiley face or something. Uh, and then there's a paper towel back there, so you can take a piece of paper towel, and then you can sort of wipe it off and start again. Can't do it with thumb, can't do it with a paper towel. That's why they're back there, right? Right, okay. So from here out, I just want to let the children know. It's like, okay, Pastor Rex is preaching, and, and maybe as you're, you know, some of the parents say, I'm going to occupy my kids with something. These are back there. All we ask is that the crayons go back in the box with the boards when you're all done. And uh, that makes a, a wonderful thing. So, Jude, knock yourself out. Need a paper towel, though. That's all I can say to you, okay? You might, might be grabbing those boards right now. Parents, I'm going to ask you and youth as well, grab a Bible, okay? Grab your Bibles, please, and open those up. First place you're going to be turning is Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Old Testament. Somewhere in the middle there. Get past uh, Psalms, Proverbs, and... You pass the Song of Solomon, you get to Isaiah chapter 40. And as you're turning to Isaiah chapter 40, uh, a few years ago, and actually it's probably more like eight years ago, I ran into a gentleman by the name of Sean Harper. Uh, Sean Harper actually came to this area for a while, and we took him around to a couple schools. And uh, he spoke at some school assemblies to junior hires and high schoolers and, and did, a, did a few different other people. Sean Harper's a big man. He's six foot four-ish, maybe a little bit taller than that. Uh, around 300 pounds. He was uh, a lineman on the offensive line at the Indiana University, and then he went on to play for the Indianapolis Colts. Sean's this really big guy that sort of demands your attention. He walks into the room, obviously, somebody that big, you already, your eyes are focused on them, saying, wow, big guy. But what he really grabbed my attention was is when he grabbed a phone book, and I'm not talking the Fulton County phone book, okay? I'm talking like a, a Toledo phone book. I'm talking one of those big, thick ones that have the white pages and the yellow pages and other discounts and other things listed in there. You know what I'm saying? Those are big, thick books. He took that phone book, and he sort of got in front, and just one of these, he just ripped the phone book right in half. And I thought, wow, if he could just do that with my bills, that would be awesome, you know, okay? And he took that phone book and just shredded it and set it down. And then he took a frying pan, okay? Took a frying pan, and he took the frying pan, he rolled it up into what looked like a burrito, which maybe that's how you cook burritos. I don't know. Maybe that's the way he does it, but I was, again, impressed. But then he took this steel bar, and um, this used to be straight, okay? 
Now, Aiden, I'm going to ask you to come up here because you're pretty strong. Okay? I want you to feel how strong that is, okay? I'm just grabbing here because it's all rusty. You're good. No, you can grab down there because it's not rusty down there. Okay? Got it? Why don't you hold on to it? Okay, then I'm going to ask Sam Reeker to come up here, okay? Because he's really strong, right? Okay, I want you to prove to me that's nice and solid there. It's pretty solid, right? Okay, hand it to Sam. You can grab down here, Sam. Okay? I want you to straighten it out for me. Don't hurt yourself. Can you bend it together more? Or maybe? It's sort of, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a little tough, isn't it? You know, the crazy thing was is that Sam Harper, this was straight. He had this in his mouth. He put um, like a washcloth right there. Put it in his mouth. It was straight. And then he just went with his, keeping his mouth, and he bent it to like this. Maybe that's why it's rusty because it's saliva or something. I don't know. But isn't that amazing? When I saw him do that, I just stood back and I thought, this guy is strong. I mean, he is powerful. And I'm sitting there thinking, what would it have been like to line up against him playing football? You see this guy across. Well, as long as he doesn't put me in his mouth, I guess I'm okay, all right? But I'm sitting there thinking, that is, that's, that's power, right? And, you know, and, and Kathy got up here and talked to the kids about superhero strength. You know, I look at some of those superheroes, and I had my favorites growing up. Spider-Man was one of them, Superman. But I was thinking about this. Every one power that those superheroes have, because some of them had just like one or two powers, it's like God has them all. I mean, think about that. The Justice League of America, okay, whatever all those powers combined, God had them all together and more. You know, whatever power I can come up with, if I had a superpower, I would, you know, be able to run fast or super strength. It's like God's got all of that. And it's like, wow, that's pretty big, right? God, you are powerful. Again, we want to continue this series when we're looking at the attributes of God is, who is God? Well, you are holy. You are patient. God, you are powerful. And that's what we want to look at this morning. And we're almost going to get to Isaiah in a second, but I want to just start this way. And that is saying, we only get four words into the Bible and we already know how powerful God is. In the beginning, God. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. And the word for God in Hebrew used there, and God has many different names, but here it's El Ohim. And that means almighty, powerful, governing ruler. So from the very beginning, we're told that the name of God is, he is the almighty, powerful ruler governing over all things. That's how the Bible starts. Then look in Isaiah chapter 40. It may be there, verse 25, 26. Let me read this to you. To whom will you compare me? Who's my equal? Ask the Holy One. This is God speaking. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out one after another, calling them each by name. And he counts them to see that none are lost or have strayed away. How awesome is that? You know, kids, if you're coloring right now, you might color whatever you want to color, but you can draw things that God's created, stars, moon, whatever. Think about this. God says, I know all these stars. I call them out by name. Now, some of you don't have problems with remembering people's names, okay? I've got three boys, and I still mess it up with my own three sons. We've got six in my family, and my dad still, every now and then, when we hang up the phone and talk, you know, 
You know, all right, talk to you later, David, uh, Mark, Terry, Steve. Keep going, Dad. You got a couple more. David, Rex, there we go. Just don't call me Diana. Then I'd be a little upset, okay? But I'm sitting there going, Dad, come on, get my name straight. But then I do the same thing with my boys. Colin, Clay, and I mess it up. I do. Now, I'm, I'm looking at the largest family over here, okay? You guys never, you never mess up with all your kids, right? Yeah, a little hesitation there. God calls out the stars by name. Billions, trillions of stars in the universe. And God's like, yep, that one. he's calling them all out, making sure none of them go astray like an army. He names them off. That's amazing to me. Next time you get outside, you have a chance on a clear night to step outside and look up and look at all the stars. We can't even count them. And God calls them by name. That's power. That's just incredible power and strength. That's God. How many times do we mess up and he doesn't? And I can imagine then as David maybe is out in the middle of a, taking care of a, out in the middle of a field, taking care of a sheep. And he looks up in the stars, looks at them all, counts them. And then he writes this in Psalm 8. He said this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic fills the name, fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. Listen to what, what David says next. When I look up into the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals that you would even think about us, human beings, that you'd care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and you crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you've made, putting all things under their authority. The flocks, herds, all the wild animals, birds in the sky, fish in the sea, everything that swims in the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. As David sat under maybe a canopy of stars and just thinking about this as he penned out that psalm. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name, your power, your strength. And then when you turn to the final book in Revelation, you don't need to turn there, we're going to turn to some other places, but in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 19, in the midst of victory songs in heaven, here's a verse containing a word maybe you've heard in church, but you've never heard anywhere else. Maybe you've heard the word omnipotent. Okay, like omnipotent. What is it? We hear that word thrown around a lot in churchy terms, which means all-powerful. It's like, is that word really in the Bible? Revelation 19.6, Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the omnipotent reigns. It's also translated almighty. But that's the only place it's ever used. Everywhere else it's translated nine other times, almighty. From the very beginning, in the beginning, God, governing ruler, almighty, powerful ruler, Throughout the Bible to the very last book, Revelation, omnipotent, almighty, the Bible screams, God, you are almighty and powerful. Let me hear you say almighty. Let me hear you say powerful. That's what God is. That's who God is. Okay. One author, his name is uh, Charnock, says this. Let me read this to you and listen carefully. The power of God is that ability and strength whereby he can bring to pass whatever he pleases. Whatever his infinite wisdom can direct, 
whatever the infinite purity of his will can resolve. As God has the ability to create before he did create, he had the power before he acted with that power without. Power notes the principle of the action, and therefore it's greater than the act itself. God's power is like himself, infinite, eternal, incomprehensible. It can neither be checked, restrained, nor frustrated by the creature. That's us. We like to put God in a box and say, well, he's power enough maybe to do this, and God says, I'm beyond that. We like to think of, like I said, all these superheroes, all those kind of powers. Guess what? God has powers beyond that. We try to comprehend, and we can't. We try to define, we can't. God, you are almighty and powerful, bigger than what we could ever come up with. So from the beginning of God's word, we're awakened to this truth in Scripture that we worship an almighty, powerful God. But I wonder if we really get that. Throughout the Bible, his power is revealed. In the end, it's declared again, and we see these things. Let me read some scripture to you. I think Dan will put them up on the screen, but let me read them to you. Genesis chapter 35, 11. Then God said, I am El Shaddai. We've heard that term before, right? That's another name of God, which means God Almighty. Psalm 91, 1 says, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Job 42, 2 says, I know that you can do anything and that no one, let me hear you say no one, no one can stop you. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Revelation eleven seventeen, and they said, we give thanks to you, Lord God, the Almighty, the one who is, who always was, for now you've assumed your great power and you have begun to reign. God is almighty and God is powerful. We must grasp hold of that. And again, in a very infinite, eternal God, to try to define that, it's tough. But I believe as believers in Jesus Christ, we must get a better, better grasp of how powerful God is because it will determine how we then live. Open up your Bibles to the book of Psalm chapter 33. If you're in Isaiah, you're going to go back a few books. Isaiah from there, go back a couple books to Psalm 33. We're going to start running through our Bibles here. Get your fingers ready, get them ready to roll and move. Psalm 33. We're going to start in verse 6. Psalm 33, verse 6. It says this, Psalm 33, 6. The Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and all the stars were born. Again, his creation is at hand. Verse 7. He gave the sea its boundaries. He locked the oceans in its vast reservoirs. Let everyone in the world fear the Lord. Let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. Here's God's power in nature. I want to show you all these different places where we see power, okay? The first is power in nature. We see how God created things, and I sort of mentioned that before. Let me read to you another uh, verse. You don't need to turn there. This is from Isaiah, I'm sorry, from Amos chapter 4, verse 13. Amos 4, 13, it says this. For the Lord is the one who shaped the mountains. Again, kids, if you're writing right now, 
draw some mountains. Shape them however you want. Draw them however you want. God shapes the mountains literally and creates them. If you're a mountain climber, if you like looking at pictures of mountains, just sometimes look at that and say, God shaped this. No, 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 billions and billions of years ago. No, erase all that out, okay? When God created the earth, he shaped the mountains. Listen to what he goes on to say, 4.13. The one who shaped the mountains stirs up the winds, reveals his every thought. He turns the light of dawn into darkness and treads the mountains under his feet. The Lord God Almighty is his name. It's the name of God, Lord God Almighty. And His power is seen in nature. Let me ask you this. When God created the world, what did He start with? Anybody know? What did He start with? Nothing. He started with nothing. When man created this chair, what did He start with? Something. Okay? Uh, it's going to be like... Um, plastic, uh, we'll break it down into the materials and metal. Okay, I'm, I'm not looking for all the little things that were actually put in, but they started with something. God starts with, let me hear you say nothing. Man starts with something, let me hear you say something. Now, let's step back from this for a second and think about that. Not one person in this room, in this world, could start with an empty room with nothing in front of them and create something. They just can't do it. We pat ourselves on the back when we make things. We make things out of things that were already created. What we did is we just rearranged the order of them and to put them together into something. That was, that's good. That's still something to be celebrated. But God took nothing and made something. It's power in nature. Turn in your Bibles now to Daniel. Daniel in the Old Testament. Okay, now if you were in um, Isaiah, move towards the New Testament. If you were in Amos, go back two books to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. The king had had a dream. Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. This big statue is very alarming, very disturbing to him. And he goes to his advisors and all of his counsel around him, and people who could maybe interpret dreams, and nobody can interpret it. And he's furious. And nobody could come up and tell him what the dream was. And he basically put this order out that he's going to execute all the wise men in Babylon if nobody can interpret the dream. Daniel hears this, which means he and his buddies are all going to face the chop block if they don't come up with an interpretation. So Daniel prays to God. He says, God, help me understand this dream. Help me know what's being said here. And he went to them in verse 18. He said he urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in the vision. So that night, God says, Daniel, here's what the dream means. Listen to Daniel's response in verse 20 and 21. Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he alone has all wisdom and power. He determines the course of world events. He removes kings sets others on the throne. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. See, God's the one that has power over man. We like to think, well, because we have somebody in office, because we put somebody in leadership, because I voted for this person, or because we nominated them to be in charge, they're in charge. They're the one that makes the calls. Let's step back for a second and, and realize the truth here. They might be positionally, with a title, in charge, 
But who rules over them? God does. I know we get nervous many times when we see different rulers from different nations, including our own, and we say, oh boy, we're going in the wrong direction. We're in trouble. Can we remember that God rules over them? And as much as we get nervous or excited about certain people in leadership, we need to pray to God to deal with this because God has power over man. He determines our steps. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, and that's in the New Testament. When you turn there, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, we read about another power. So we have God has power over nature. He has power over man. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, we find out that God has power over angels. God has power over angels. Hebrews 1, 14. But angels are only servants. They are spirits sent from God to care for those who will receive salvation. God has power over angels. Oh, here's one. The devil. Thank you, Roger. Nobody likes him. He is our enemy. He's our opponent. We know that, right? In Job chapter 1, if you want to turn there, you may. If you want to listen, you do that too. In Job chapter 1, God's having this conversation with Satan. And Satan wants to take out Job, wants to hurt Job, but we find out that he can only do so much. Job chapter 1, verse 12. In this conversation, God says, All right, you may test him, referring to Job. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence, and he went out and did all these things to Job. Fast forward to the next chapter, chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. The Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. A man of complete integrity. He fears God, will have nothing to do with evil. He's maintained his integrity, even though you persuaded me to harm him without cause. Verse 4, Satan replied to the Lord, skin for skin. He blesses you only because you bless him. A man will give up everything he has to save his life. To take away his health, he'll surely curse you in your face. God said this to Satan. All right, do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. And when we read that, we sort of sound like, like God's given in to Satan. It's really like God saying, okay, do what you want to do. Like God saying, no, 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 it's not the case. Satan was seeking permission from God. Let me touch Job. Let me do something. God has, again, Satan couldn't do that on his own. He had to get permission from God. And God says, I'm going to let you do this, but you're going to find out at the end of the story, it's more incredible than the beginning of the story. And that's a whole other sermon in itself. But what we get from this is that God limits Satan. How about power over sickness? Let's go to the New Testament. Go to Matthew. Go to the book of Matthew. First book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 8. I told you, if your fingers weren't ready to move this morning, get them moving, get them warmed up, okay? For those of you with the, uh, the apps on the phone, start punching, okay? Matthew chapter 8, verse 14 to 17. When Jesus arrived at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law was in bed with a high fever. When Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her. Incredible. She got up, prepared a meal for him. That's how, that's how God takes care of sickness, by the way. Okay? For those of you who've been sick, usually you come back after being sick and you've got that one day where you're like just trying to recover, right? It's like, I can't get up and start working too soon because I don't want to go into relapse and be sick again the next day. So you usually take that extra day, right? Jesus touches her in the hand. She gets up and says, I feel so good. I'm going to go make supper. 
That's how he handles sickness. Read on. That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. All the spirits fled when he commanded them to leave. He healed all. Let me hear you say all. He healed all the sick. Not just three-quarters of them, not just most of them, all of them. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through Isaiah who said, He took our sickness, He removed our diseases. Let me go back over the list again in case you're keeping track or you've got a scoreboard here, okay? To see what kind of power God has. God has power over nature. God has power over man. God has power over angels. God has power over Satan. God has power over sickness. God has power over the demons. Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, we see another story where Jesus, and it's like, didn't we just read this? I'm telling you, it's all over the place what Jesus was doing here. This is not a repeat. This is another story. Mark 1, 23 says, A man possessed by an evil spirit was in the church, in the synagogue. He began shouting, Why are you bothering us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One sent from God. Satan calls him out. The demon calls him out. Jesus cut him short. Be silent. Come out of the man. At that point, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and he left him. Amazement gripped the audience and began to discuss what happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they said excitedly. He has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news of what he'd done spread quickly throughout the entire area of Galilee. He has power over demons. He has power over death. John chapter 11, when Lazarus was dead, Jesus called him out of the tomb. How do we respond to this, okay? Let me hear you say almighty. Let me say powerful. So that's who God is. He's almighty and powerful. How do we respond to this? See, it's one thing for me to come up here and say, listen, grab your Bibles, turn to, grab your Bibles, turn to, grab your Bibles. We find all this. This is truth. But if we don't apply truth, then we've done nothing but just read about truth, and we've got to apply truth. And to apply truth, we have to step back and say, okay, God is almighty, God is powerful, but what does that mean? Let me hear you say, trust him. Look at the person around you. I don't care. Pick anyone. Then pick a second person. Then pick a third person. You're going to tell three people this. Tell them, trust God. Go for it. You've got three people. It was like a race up here. And it was great. There's four of you, so you just didn't have to go right here. Sound like a machine gun going on up here. Trust God. It's real simple. Trust God, right? It sounds simple, but it's so hard. But when you look at one of the greatest stories that we ever looked at, and always, we only talk about this at Christmas time because that's when it comes, about the birth of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 1. Let me read this to you. An angel appears to Mary. And she says this, frightened as Mary is, the angel told her, God's decided to bless you. You'll become pregnant and you'll have a son. You're going to name him Jesus. He'll be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of the ancestor David. He'll reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. That's an amazing thing. It's an impossible thing because she's a virgin. She doesn't know any guys. Same thing happened to Elizabeth, who's old. She can't have babies. She's not going to happen. Okay? How's this going to happen? Well, Mary asked the angel that. How's it going to happen? That's what we usually say, right? When something seems too powerful, something too big, something impossible, we say, how? 
How is this going to happen? Really? How's God taking care of this one? The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power, let me hear you say power, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born, will be holy. He'll be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative, Elizabeth, yeah, the other impossible one, okay, will become pregnant in her old age. People used to pray, used to say she's barren, but she's conceived the son, and she's in her sixth month. Wow. Nothing is impossible with God. So when you consider Elizabeth, who was an old woman as barren, and Mary, who's a virgin, to impossible situation, and God makes it possible. Trust Him. Trust Him. With the power that God has in being almighty, that's the first thing we've got to do. Is we've got to start trusting Him a little bit more. Here's the second thing. We need to bow in all humbleness. Sometimes we talk about God and how big He is, and we think, well, then He's had access, right? Like the vending machine, push the button, whatever it is, He helps us, right? Sometimes we just need to bow down and say, because you are, I need to position myself into a position of humbleness. I need to get on my knees. April 3rd and 4th, two days, 1974. Our nation experienced the largest, most out damaging outbreak of tornadoes in history. Half the town of Xenia, just outside of Dayton, uh, east of Dayton, was basically wiped off the map. Some of you may remember this, this, what happened during those couple of days. During those two days, 127 tornadoes broke out in over 11 states. When it was over, 315 people died. Over 6,100 were injured. And uh, the damage report was over $600 million. It's just amazing what a tornado can do. Six of those tornadoes uh, were recorded at reaching speeds of 261 miles per hour. That's powerful, right? In one school in Xenia, a teacher and her students were on stage in the auditorium. They were practicing for this play, and then the tornado warning was issued. The teacher grabbed the students. They got out of the building just seconds before the twister tossed two school buses into the auditorium, into the stage. Why does God allow devastating storms like that? Do you ever wonder? I mean, we ask those kind of questions. Nahum chapter 1, verse 3, and I believe this is the verse that may be in the front of your bulletin. The Lord is slow to get angry. Remember we said last week, God is patient. He is slow to get angry. It's like a slow boil on a stove, right? Okay. But His power is great. He never lets the guilty go unpunished. He displays His power in the whirlwind and the storm. The billowing clouds are the dust beneath His feet. It's like those tornadoes, 127 tornadoes, was nothing but dust beneath his feet. And we say, was he doing it to punish the unjust? I mean, was he hot-tempered? No, remember, he's patient. He's patient. We discovered that last week, right? But he's also great in power. He won't let the guilty go unpunished. And sometimes God may use, he may use a force of nature to do that. He may do that. And we all want answers during those difficult times. But we understand this about the nature of God and His attributes and that He's also loving. He's also loving. He may apply His justice, but He's also loving. We need a reminder that once in a while, though, that God is all-powerful. What we ought to be doing is trembling before the Almighty God and His power. If Sean Harper were to come up against me and uh, he were to maybe line up across me in a game of football, and I was in midget football, a fifth grader. And there's Sean Harper across from me. And I recognize this. This would probably be Rex Stump bet after meeting Sean Harper, okay? He'd break me in two. 
And when you run into somebody like that, you don't get all big with them, say, oh yeah, well I can get you, you know, no. Humble yourself before that big man, okay, and say, you are bigger than me. And if you want to go out for steak, I'll buy, okay? I mean, that's, you just, you just put yourself in an understanding that he's bigger than me, right? Why don't we do that with God? Why do we still try to be bigger than him? Why do we still try to call the shots and take charge? Sometimes we just need to humbly bow and say, God, you're big. Here's the last thing. Let me go back it up, okay? First thing is this, trust him. Second thing is bow in humility. Here's the third thing, live with confidence. You're part of God's almighty power and creation, right? We said power in nature, power in creation. You're part of that, I'm part of that. God created you incredibly. When you look in the scriptures and you see something amazing, you discover God who is omnipotent, who is almighty and powerful from heaven, sort of leans forward, bends forward, this almighty God, and creates you. Isn't that incredible? So live with confidence, knowing that you were created by an almighty God. Don't walk around acting like a piece of junk, being devalued by others, or thinking less of yourself. You're worth more than the precious metals that he's ever created. You're as one of his most precious creation. He's that powerful. When we realize his power, that he created us, it's a little bit easier to trust him. It's a lot more easier to bow in humbleness. It's also a little bit easier to live with confidence. So you know what? I walk with a mighty God, an all-powerful God. If God is almighty and powerful, guess what our problems look like? Like this. We were just talking, the newcomers, we were just talking there, and then Betty and looked at a picture and say, God is bigger than our problems. If God is almighty and powerful, take that to him today. Celebrate that today. Worship team, would you come up, please? We should be able to, as Christians, be able to stand up and say, wow, God's huge. So I, I will humbly bow before him, but I can trust him. I can live with confidence because everything else around me, all these problems, are small, real small. Would you please stand? Let me ask you this as, as you're standing now, okay? When's the last time you humbly bowed before God and said, God, man, you are huge, you're almighty, you're powerful, I'm not worthy, and you just sort of bowed down like that big six-foot-four, 300-pound lineman across, and you just sort of like, okay, you're bigger, okay? When's the last time you've done that? When's the last time you've trusted him, saying, okay, God, the problems I'm facing right now, they seem huge. I think we would all agree to that, right? But I think we can also throw back our shoulders with a little confidence and say, but you know what? God's bigger than all that. So I can trust him in all this. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome God, almighty and powerful. And God, we read that through your word, through truth over and over. We look into scripture and we see all these references to how you have power over all these things. But the amazing thing is, God, is that, that power is out there, but we just got to humble ourselves to it and realize that you are almighty. You are powerful. And right now, God, maybe my problems are big, but you're bigger. Maybe my pain is huge, but Lord, you are larger than all that. You're more powerful than all that. 
Maybe my circumstances seem out of control, but God, you are in control. And being almighty, you see it all. So God, we want to trust you. We want to humbly bow before you. And then when we get off our knees, we want to live with confidence. We walk with a mighty God. God, reveal yourself to us in our lives. Remind us that you are huge. You are big. Let us worship you for who you are. In thy name we pray. Amen.